I believe you guys, I, I fully believe this with all of my heart, that this is the most important revelation that God has given us, is that I am your father. And we've been talking about the names of God. We've been talking about the revelations of God, how God revealed himself throughout the Bible. I actually believe that this is the most important one. And other people might argue with me, but I got the mic. So I'm going to say that this is the most important revelation that we can have as Christians today, that I am your father. God looks at you and says, I'm your dad. I'm your dad. And just like me, when we come running towards him, when we lift our hands in praise, when we're singing towards him, when we smile at him, when we take those steps towards him, imagine the heart of the Father as we make those steps. You have to understand that just because that was a natural thing, I actually believe that God's heart towards us is the same. When we make those moves, when we take those steps in that direction, that that's my dad. I'm here to praise him. I'm here to worship him. I'm going to take steps towards him. I want to be more like him. I want to know him. You know, I I think God just wants us to know how much that pleases him today. This revelation, you know, we talked about other revelations, and a lot of the revelations we've talked about really are what God can do and what he does. This is the revelation about who he is, and more than that, it's the revelation about who you are in, in, in turn. This is one of those revelations that not only is there a promise in it for us, but there's an identity in it for us. There's something that's deep in our hearts that's longing for this. You know, our whole world is longing just to know the Father. I believe that. You know, it's interesting, only 15 times is God referred to as a Father in the Old Testament. Did you guys know that? 15 times. We're talking thousands of years. We're talking 39 books of the Bible, and only 15 times is he referenced as a Father. That's pretty crazy. That, that's an unreal, you know, thought. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and all of a sudden, all he's talking about is God the Father. God the Father. You need to know the Father. You know, uh, how, what does it say here? Um, he doesn't just teach, sorry, it says uh, over 100 times in the book of John alone, God is referenced as a Father. 65 times in the Synoptic Gospels, and at least another 40 times is God referenced as a father by Paul. That's crazy. It's unbelievable, right? And Jesus doesn't just come and teach us that, you know, this is our way to pray to God. This is our way to look at God. He, he says, this is the way that you are to relate to the father. He comes and he steps on the scene and says, you know, what you've been doing, it's all, it's okay, but you need to see God as a father. Because he is your father. He is your father. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, how does he start? Our father. He's teaching them how to pray. He's teaching them how to relate. How do you relate to God? Our father. Our father. And the beautiful thing is, is Jesus is the son of God. And and you and I, we're the adopted sons and daughters of God. We can go to him. He is our father because of the relationship between he and Jesus. When you enter him by faith, you become a son. You become a daughter. You know, the thought, though, of, of calling God father was super foreign to the Jewish people at that time. You, you heard 15 times in a period of thousands of years did they ever call him father or look at him as father. You know, God, in, in a way, was sort of a friend of a friend to those people. You know what I'm saying? He, he, were, he, he was somebody that you knew about, you knew he was there, you knew he did things, you know he gave some instructions, you knew, you know, but they didn't want to relate to him on a personal level. You know, I, I find it interesting that all the time in the Old Testament, that they're always like, hey, hey, Moses, you go talk to God and tell us what he says. 
You know, and, and there was times when the people wouldn't even seek him and God would send prophets into the land and, and they would start saying, this is what God says. This is, you guys are off track. Let's get back on track. Here's what the Lord says. The people did not really want to have that personal, intimate relationship that God has desired with us since the very beginning. You know, when he created Adam and Eve in the garden, he walked with them in the cool of the garden. He, 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 he was with them. They talked, they, they shared, they, they did all the things that they do together. They do all the things that we do that we're supposed to do in a relationship. And, and you know, the crazy thing about the, the Jewish people then, they didn't know how to relate to it, so Jesus steps on the scene and he's like, this is your father, this is your father, this is what the father looks like, this is the father. And I think today, if we were honest in our own hearts, we still have trouble struggling looking at God as our father. It, it's a real problem today in our society. You know, we, we still in some ways hold God at a, a bit of a distance. You know, we don't bring in that personal, you know, that intimate thing that he wants with us, that relationship. You know, the term father, it, it is intimate. You know, you see this all the time in, in families that are, that are, you know, have gone through divorce and, and a new father is brought into the scene and, and what do the kids do when the dad tries to bring discipline? Well, you're not my dad. I don't have to listen to you, right? Because they identify with a person. They identify with a man. They identify that way. And, and that's what God wants to talk to us about today. He doesn't want his, his heart of a father to be foreign in anybody's heart in this room today. I just really believe that. When you use the term father, it means that you're connected. You know who's covering you. You know how many of you ever been on the school ground and you get into that fight? Or maybe anybody ever been in a fight like that? Just me? Devin, me and Devin, you get out there and what do you start saying, right? My dad could kick your dad's butt, right? Anybody ever said that before? Brenna still says that to me at youth. So, you know, it's interesting, but we, we, we know who's got our back. You know, as a kid growing up, I knew my dad had my back. You know, you did not want to mess with my dad. At least I didn't want to mess with my dad. And to be honest, I don't think anybody else did either. You know, because you knew, I knew who had my back. I knew he was covering me. You know what's yours? You know, everything in that house is yours eventually one day, hopefully, unless your brothers and sisters claim it, right? But, you know, you knew what was yours. You know that there's an inheritance coming. And you hope that it's later than, you know, rather than sooner. You, you want, you know, you're going to one day inherit the wealth of your father, hopefully, unless your brothers and sisters claim it, like mine are doing right now. So... Anyway, I have uh, three beautiful girls, you guys know, and, and I think it's an incredible privilege to have daughters. I'm not going to lie, I, I wanted a boy. I still want a boy because um, my girls don't like fishing with me and all the things that I like to do. But anyway, I am a dad of three girls. They bring me great joy all the time, and I'm not exaggerating that. I love that. They, they make me happy. You know, Elise, she sends me the emoji poop all the time. She sent it to me five times this morning already, and, and then she sends it in fireworks, and then she sends it in big, bold, and, and I think Ellie loves me or is trying to say something to me, but, you know, I, I actually work, some of you guys know me, I actually work at being a good dad. I try hard. I read books. I listen to sermons on it. I ask other people for advice. I listen to my friends when they talk about being a good dad. I try my hardest, you know, uh, and... I'm not perfect. You know, I make a lot of mistakes. And I let my kids down sometimes. Anybody can relate to that? 
you know, we try our hardest to be good dads, and, and we let them down, and, and, and it kind of sucks sometimes, you know. And some of you guys know what it's like to even not even have a dad in your life. Some of you guys know what it's like to just not have the best spiritual father. Maybe he just did the best he could, but it just, you know, wasn't enough to fill your heart. You know, the, the beautiful thing about this is, the thankful thing that I am is that I can actually point them to their heavenly father, right? Because I'm not going to meet all of their needs. And people are saying, oh, don't speak that, you know, and I've had people say that, you, you know, speak faith, speak. It's true, actually. I am not going to meet all of my kids' needs. I'm going to let them down. I'm going to hurt them. I'm going to disappoint them. But what I do is I actually show them that there is a God who loves them more than I even do. There is a father who cares for them so deeply, so strongly. He's done more for them already than anything I could ever do in their lives. And I point them to him. I say, man, I love you, but he loves you even more. I care for you, but he cares for you even more. You know, when I was talking to Eliana the other day, and I was, we were talking about heroes, and, and, and she was brushing her teeth, and I said, well, I'm your hero, right? And she's like, nope. I was like, What? Like, who's your hero then? And I'm thinking Iron Man or, you know, and she's like, Jesus is my hero. I thought, come on, girl. Like, you, I actually just went in my room and I just was like, God, you're so good. She's getting it. You know, she's getting what I'm trying to do. I, I don't want her to rely fully on me because I'm going to let her down, right? If you're trying to be the perfect dad, it's okay. Keep trying. Keep trying to love your kids. But you know what? You're going to make those mistakes, Point your kids to Jesus. Point your, point your kids to the Father who's going to do more for them than you will ever be able to do. He's going to give them more than you ever could. And I, I think that's pretty awesome. I believe this. I actually believe the Holy Spirit today wants to touch some of our lives today and reveal himself as a father to some of you. And, and just open your hearts. I, I'm going to pray right now and I'm going to ask that, you know, you just open your heart to letting God, let his Holy Spirit just come in and show you not only who he is, but show you who you are this morning. So, Father, I want to ask you today, in Jesus' name, that you would just reveal yourself to everybody in this room. You would show yourself to be a good father, that you would show yourself to be loving and caring, that you would show every person in this room, even those who know you better than me, God, Lord, let them know you even greater, your love for them, your covering for them. Let them see their identity in you today. God, I just ask that right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, touch somebody's heart today and remove a lie where they believe they're not good enough to be in a relationship with you. Just remove that today, God. Just let your spirit flow through every person here today. I'm going to read a scripture to you, Romans chapter 8. Verse 29, this is from the message translation. I really like how this is worded. It says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lives as the life of his son. The son started first in the line of humanity he restored, and we see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should look like, he followed it up by calling people by name. So what's the importance of a name then, I wonder? It's interesting, you know, it blows my mind actually that God at the very beginning knew what he was doing, kind of a, a crazy thought, 
He created his son Jesus. He created us to be formed and shaped in his image. And then he created us and he called us by name. That's pretty important, wouldn't you guys say? The fact that God actually called you by name, that he knew you. And it says, again, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning, and he called you by name. God knew what he was doing, and he called you by name. You're important. You are not an afterthought. You are not missed by God. You are not overlooked by God. You are actually so valuable and so important. So what does it mean to be called by name? Have you guys ever heard of that, that pig that was handicapped, was born without legs, and they built a little uh, you know, roller wheel on the back so this pig could walk around? Anybody know his name? His name is Chris P. Bacon, right? That's what they named him. You think his name means something? Chris, middle name P with a dot, Bacon. He's a pig. Is anybody reading between the lines here? Chris P. Bacon, pig. His name means something. Eventually, that pig will probably become bacon. I don't know for sure. But anyway, you know, names mean something. In the Bible, you guys, there's numerous references to people and the meanings of their names, the importance of what they're going to do or what they did do. And, you know, it's all good if you have one of those sweet names like, oh, what's one of the good names in the Bible? Let's say Samson. What a great name. Um, Samson means valiant, strong warrior with glorious biceps and beautiful hair. Stronger than any man, the Lord's anointed called of God. You guys don't like that one? No. All right, let's do a different one. Um, Okay, Matthew. You know what Matthew means? God's gift to the nations, to be a blessing to all who encounter his presence, right? Any Matthews in the room? Anybody? Right? It's good if you have a name like Matthew or Samson. Like, that's awesome. Actually, my name is Matthew Samson. Weird. But anyway, um, you know, what if you get one of these names, though? Jacob. He grasps the heel. Yeah, great name meaning there, right? He grasps the heel. What about this one? Leah, which means weary. Sorry, Leah's and Jacob's. This one, this one's pretty bad. Doug. (laughs) Means dark water. You better get a Brita filter for that water, you know what I'm saying? Like, Montreal sewage gets pumped. Anyway, it's all, you're in trouble if you got a name like that, though, right, Doug? Yeah, I told you. Anyway, so, good news for you guys, though, named Doug, Leah, Jacob, and others. God changes names in the Bible all the time, right? So if you got a name that meant something, you know, here's an example. He changed Jacob's name to Israel, right? And Israel actually was a powerful name. You know, he changed Simon's name to Peter, when he had a revelation of God, when he had a revelation of who God was. And God actually takes who you are and what you were doing, and he actually says, this is who you are. 
This is how I see you. And he, and he gives you a new name. You know, I, I've shared a lot the story about how Addison got her name and the importance of what God told me about, you know, her name at the beginning of time and how he was spending, you know, she would be a, a, an added person in the kingdom of God that he wanted to spend time with. Uh, you know, we had a totally different name picked out for her. And when we had the revelation that Addison means an added son in the kingdom of God, right, that he would spend eternity with her forever, you know, and, and Matthew, I picked her name before you were ever born. And I picked your name, and you're valuable to me, and you're important. You know, and, and I, I share that sermon a lot at youth conferences and different things and because I think it's important. But then you get people come up to you, and they say, well, well what does my name mean? It's not even in the name books. My name's Jardeth. I'm like, well, it means jar of death. Duh. Like, you know, don't ask me for the interpretation because I have no idea. But what's actually more important than what a name book says your name means or, you know, any of that stuff is actually that God knows your name because you're his. You're his son. You're his daughter. That is more important than whatever a book says your name means. You know, Leah's just a beautiful name in my opinion. Jacob's a strong power name in my opinion. Doug's got to get some work. But anyway, um, you know, I get off. Tr- I try to get myself in trouble. Actually, sometimes I don't know what I'm doing. But anyway, it's important that God knows your name. You're His. I, I actually think this is incredible that the, that the God who created the entire universe, who created everything that ever was, anything that ever will be, has called you by name. I think that is so important. I think that is so valuable. And I know you know that you were created for something greater than you see right now. For a lot of you. You might not be seeing the greatest situation. You might not be looking at the greatest situation. But I want to know because God knows what he's doing from the very beginning, because he formed you to be like his son, he's at work right now in your life. That he knew your name, that he called you out by name. That that is so important, okay? Listen, I know what some of you guys are thinking. You're looking at the person beside you and you're thinking, God is not shaping that person's life, right? And... It's true, we judge people all the time, don't we? You know, I've had a real revelation, and I had a friend who died a couple weeks ago, and I went to his funeral in Kelowna, and he was young, 31 years old, and had a heart attack and passed away, and, you know, he'd had some struggles with addiction, and, you know, but he was clean. He'd been clean for about six months, and, and he was getting his heart right, and, and he was trying to do right, and he'd cleaned up all of his, you know, he had some warrants out and some different things just from the trouble that he got his life into. And it's kind of this crazy thought that you look at someone's life and people are like, why? Why did this happen? And, and the image that I saw of his life for the last, you know, 10 years, it wasn't a good image, right? He wasn't living right. He wasn't living in a good place. He wasn't in a, a healthy place. He wasn't in a, a safe place. He wasn't living on purpose. He wasn't, you, you know, put it in whatever you want to do. But God showed me that, Matt, you know, these are just chapters in people's lives. You can't judge a man's life based on, based on just a little portion of his life, you know? You judge it based on the most important chapter, and that's the chapter where someone gives their heart to Christ and becomes a son of God. And, you know, the very end of his life for, for my friend, you know, was that I'm, I'm going to get right with God. I believe he has a call of God for my life. And for, unfortunately, it ended too quick for him. But, you know, we judge people in their moments. We look at other people. We look around and we say, oh, man, 
that guy's not a son of God. There's no way. Look at what he's doing right now. Look at what she's doing right now. Look at the struggle they're in right now. You know, people make mistakes all the time, and, and, and I think the most beautiful part about it is that, you know, God is not going to give up on those people in their situations. He sees more than just that chapter. He sees more than just that moment in their lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, some of you are looking at your life and you're saying, man, you don't know how bad I've been messing up. You don't know how many mistakes I've been making, but I'm telling you, God knows, and he sees farther down the road. You know, we had a a young girl recently who just wanted to give up, and, and she was saying no, and I said, listen, this is just a moment. Don't give up. Your life is too important. You mean more than just quitting and giving up. And I'm not talking about just quitting, leaving church. I'm talking about giving up on life. You know, you're worth more. Some of you are saying, but, you know, Pastor Matt, you don't live with him, and I do, right? You don't even know what this guy's like. You don't even know what she's like at home. They put on that face for church, but it's they're not the same person. Well, God knows. God knows, and he still called them, and he still believes in them, and don't judge them in that chapter, Amen. I don't even want to get started on some of your kids, right? Like, some of your kids should be called Little Punk or Rachel, for example. Oh, I love Rachel. She's awesome. We've all got stuff to figure out. You know, we all have sin issues that foul things up in our lives and, you know, that make a mess of things. But we have a father who has created a solution for us in all of that. You know, listen to this next scripture. It says that he embraced our condition. Romans 8, verse 31 to 39 says this. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Is this not a good revelation of a father? Who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in scripture. I want to talk about how God embraced our condition. Have you guys ever had a real hug before? I'm talking about a real hug, not just like the side hug, not the, you know, the bro hug. I'm talking about a real hug from someone before. You ever get one of those? You know, when I was younger, and, and you guys know that some of you know, if I've shared this story. I, had a, I did have a friend commit suicide when I was younger, one of my best friends. And I remember you know, I don't want to tell that story, but I remember when I came home that day and I walked into my kitchen and I looked at my dad and I knew something was wrong as soon as I walked in the house. Just the look that he gave me. And he shared the news with me and, you know, you know, instantly I, I broke down and cried. And uh, I remember in that moment, though, my dad coming and just gripping me. You know, and and hugging, hugging me in that moment. And I knew everything was going to be okay. 
You know, it wasn't okay. What my friend did wasn't okay. And the feelings that I had were horrible. But my dad hugging me let me know that it was going to be okay. And when I tried to pull away, he pulled me in tighter. And he didn't let go. And he wouldn't let go until he was done. And he just let me cry. And he let me, you know, until, until that moment of anxiety, until that moment of hurt, until that moment, it, it passed, and then he let me go. But you know what it, what it spoke to me all these years later about that moment is that's the Father's heart for us. He embraces our condition. He takes our hurt. He takes our brokenness, and he, he just wraps his arms around you and says, I got this. You're not alone through this. I'm with you. Right? You guys hear what I'm saying? That's the heart of the Father that we have. That's the revelation that you need to get in your heart today. That whatever you're going through, whatever your friends are going through, whatever pain, whatever situation, and I know it's not like that for everyone, but you have a God who has embraced and hugged that condition for you. He sent Jesus to break the brokenness in our lives. Amen? That's what he does for us. He is so good that way. I knew there's nothing that my dad wouldn't have done for me in that moment to take my pain away if he could. There was nothing he could do to take that pain away, but he knew, I knew that he was going to be with me through it all. It was powerful, you know? I knew I was loved. I knew I was loved. And that is what God the Father is so desperately wanting you to know. You are loved. You're his. It doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean that hurt's not going to come. But it means that you have that Father to walk with you through it. Amen? Those of you who don't know me that well, you need to understand that, you know, that was hard for me to even let my dad hug me. I, I don't like to be touched or hugged in general at all. So my mom has to wrestle hugs out of me. I'm not lying. And I'll give her the side hug, and I'll just be like, oh, my goodness, mom. Like, she wants 50 hugs every time she sees me. I don't like it. And people like Loyola has helped break that down in my life. I can feel her breath on my neck. Mrs. Agri, there's others. Thank you for helping me in this area. It makes me, how many men are uncomfortable with a hug? Amen? Am I the only one? A few of us. Right? The problem is, you guys, you know, I, I hold people at an arm's distance that way. I want my space. But the problem is I think I do it too much to God, too. I don't let him come in and actually embrace me the way he wants to embrace me. I don't let him love me the way he wants to love me. And I think that I'm not alone in that situation. I think that a lot of us, in a lot of ways, we hold God at an arm's distance. Say, God, I want to be in relationship with you, but you're getting a little too close. You're getting a little too close. We need to let him embrace us. You know, let him work through that. For me, it's trust. I don't know what it is for you guys, but, you know, I, I got to pray for me to get healed in that area just to fully trust God and, and others, but. I don't want to hold them at an arm's distance. You know, we do it for different reasons, too. We keep God at a distance because of hurt, you know, because of shame. We don't trust him. We have our own prides, right? But it all stems from that broken nature that he came to fix in our hearts, you know. The Father exposed himself, our scripture says, to the absolute worst because of his love for you. You know, you are locked in a never-ending embrace from God. I, I just love that thought. 
He's never letting go. I just want to encourage you today as we pray later that, you know, it's time to let go of some things that maybe are keeping you from moving into a deeper relationship with the Father. You know, I've had hate in my heart. I've had hate that held me back from letting God love me, and I've been angry at people, and been hurt by people in the church, and hurt by friends. And I tend to let those things keep God from loving me. Anybody, anybody agree? Maybe you do that too. You know, some of the hardest things to do are to let God work that out in your life because he knows you. He knows what you're going through because everyone in this room has something different that they're holding on to right now. We're all broken. We all got stuff to work through. Letting God work that out in your heart is one of the best places you can be. Letting a father love you through and trust you, and, and when that wound opens up, letting him reach in and touch that wound and, and just fix that wound and heal that wound, it's the best thing you can do. You know, I've ruined my marriage. I've hurt people I meant to love. You know, some of you are feeling that way. He knows. He knows what you're going through. You know, struggling with pills or addiction, he knows. We turn our back on him multiple times and keep on doing our own things. He knows, and he still called us. He still loved us. He knows your condition. He knows your situation. My heart is that we would let love break through and heal our hearts today. You know, God wants you whole. wants every part of you whole. I think too many people are letting, you know, their situations define their outlook on life. You know, we get too familiar with all the wrong things. We're too familiar with our conditions. We're too familiar with our fears and anxieties. We're too familiar with the brokenness. And really what we need to be familiar with is his heart and his love for us. We need to get into that place, right? You know, familiarity is, it's, can be defined both good and bad. You know, it's good, it's good to be familiar with someone so intimate, have a great relationship with them that, you know, when they go to, to, to say, where should we eat, you're already answering the question. You know what you want to do. It's great to be familiar in that way, but it's wrong to be familiar in brokenness and in our situations that way, right? Where we accept brokenness instead of truth. You know, a lot of people get familiar with pain. A lot of people get familiar with sickness. A lot of people get familiar with just, that's just the way it is. And that's not just the way it is. It's not the way it was meant to be. You need to get familiar with God's ways, his truth, you know, his love, and how to walk fully in that. You know, I'm going to say this. I think familiarity is probably a bigger enemy to our faith than fear is. Because when we're afraid, we know who to take it to, right? When you have fear, you know to take that to God. But when you become familiar with God to that point where, uh, I don't think this will ever change. Oh, that's just the way it is. It, it, it becomes your present reality, your truth, and, and nothing changes in those situations. It's sneaky that way, right? You know, I'll say this. I don't fully understand why bad things happen to certain people. You know, I don't, I don't get that. And I don't get why sometimes people pass away when I feel like they shouldn't. I find it frustrating when good things happen to God's people. I really do. I question God sometimes on stuff like that. I ask him. You know, and the only answer that I really have is that we have a real enemy. 
As much as we have a loving father, there is someone who hates you and wants to kill you and rob and destroy from us, right? It's real. You know, we have friends going through trials right now. But there's an attitude that you can get when you know that the father's with you where you don't focus so much on a circumstance or a situation, but you actually focus on God. Listen to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10 says this. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. This is the truth that we got to get in our hearts. You know, Paul is saying, and I love that it doesn't say what the thorn actually is, but it could be anything for us, for any one of us. But what do you do when that stuff isn't changing? You know, I want to talk a little bit about John Samponia for a minute. You know, those of you who don't know John, maybe just wave at us, John, here, John and Karen. Um, you know, John has had, correct me if I'm wrong, but stage four cancer for two and a half years now. You guys know that? Some of you did, some of you don't. But the thing about John is that he has this attitude that the Apostle Paul had where he has taken an affliction, and he's, I'm pretty sure, I, don't, I can't say for, for sure, but I'm pretty sure John's asked some questions to God. But he has taken this affliction, and he's actually turned it into a weapon against the enemy. And I want to tell you how John is out encouraging other people with cancer and telling them about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And I want to tell you about how he's out there encouraging people and telling them that there's hope. You can be healed. I'm believing for healing. And he's sharing his faith. And people are getting changed. And, and, you know, people are believing and their hearts are getting stirred up. Because whatever you have going on, though the situation may not be changing, Paul said, I prayed three times earnestly that this would go away. And the God said, I'm not taking that away. But my grace is sufficient for you. You know, don't get familiar with the sickness. Get familiar with God's goodness and, and use that present reality. It might not be the full truth yet. You, you haven't found your healing. You haven't found the wholeness of God yet. But whatever you're going through, take that thing and turn it on the enemy and just say, I'm going to use this for God's glory. Just like Paul. Go tell your friends. You know, well, you know one of the things I, I prayed for Pastor Greg, you know, multiple sclerosis is a nasty disease. It is horrible. But one of the things that I fully believe that God showed me is that he is going to bring hope to people who don't know Jesus yet, who are walking with that disease. I believe that Pastor Greg will be 100% healed. But that is one of the most lonely diseases that people end up just so alone and broken and hurting because they're eventually just removed from that. And Pastor Greg, have, I've not seen one ounce of hurt in him that way. He is out there telling people about Jesus. He is out there fighting. He is saying, whatever this is, I'm just using it to fight back against the enemy. We need to get that in our hearts no matter what it is. Whatever brokenness you have walking in you, turn it into a weapon against the enemy. I'm not, you know, this, this is real. I don't like it. It sucks. But I'm going to tell people about God's goodness anyway. Amen? You know, Josh Melvin's doing this right now. Josh Melvin has a... a uh, an allergy to certain nuts that if he eats them, he dies. And how many of you know that can cause some fear in your heart? 
right? And Josh walked in some fear for a while, and we've been praying with him. But now Josh has taken steps, and he's going out to restaurants again because he's not letting the fear hold him down. He's not becoming too familiar with his situation that he's going to let it ruin his life like the enemy planned to rob from him. He's starting to say, I'm going out again. I'm going to start living again. I have more purpose than this. I have a plan. And, and he's still believing for the fullness of the healing, but he's not living in the brokenness. You understand what I'm saying? The Father does not want us living in brokenness. Whatever the season you're in right now, turn it on, on the enemy. Amen? Last thought, Romans 8, verse 30, that he established this unto him. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he begun. God is not finished in anybody's life here today. This is just a chapter. This is just a story. It might be a good story right now. Praise the Lord. You know, you're going to come up against a bad chapter someday. But you know what? God is not done with any of us until our last breath. Whatever you're going through, whatever harm you cause to your family, whatever situation you cause to think that God wouldn't love you anymore, it's not going to last. The season gets better as you turn your heart to a father who embraced your condition, who loves you, who cares for you, who wants you whole. Amen. Do you think anyone or anything is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and the Father's love for us? There is no way the scripture tells us. Pastor Matty shared that in the first message we started. There is nothing that can come in between God's love as a father for you as his child right now. Nothing. Why would God ever leave you or forsake you? He won't. I want to leave you with a thought that Pastor Luke shared with me this week. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 to 13, he said, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Listen, the Father has revealed himself to you. If you embrace it, you need to understand that your sins are forgiven for his name's sakes, that you've overcome the evil one, and that you know him, that you know him. Let God be the father he wants to be to you today. Let's pray. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask right now that if you've been struggling with this, and you've been struggling in the thought that God could be your father and that he actually cares and loves about you, if you struggle with the thought that that God would ever call you a son or a daughter, or maybe you feel like you've messed up and you need to just feel the Father's love today. You need to know that he's there to just hug you through, to embrace your condition. If that's you in this room today, I want you to just acknowledge that to the Father. Put your hand up and just let him see that you are in that place where you need some love from the Father this morning. Just put your hand up. Don't, don't miss this moment, people. God wants to reveal himself in a greater way to you. And if you need to know that love this morning, put your hand up and just let him love you. Thank you, God, for the revelation that you are our father, that we are your sons, that we are your daughters, and that there is so much more for us in this world. God, thank you that everything that is yours is ours in Christ Jesus. And I want to ask today, God, that you would love those that need the extra love today. That you would open their hearts just to see, God, how much you care for them today. 
how much you just desire for them to know their identity in you. I want to thank you for this revelation, God. Thank you that you called every single person in this room out by name. For such a time as this, there's no mistakes, there's no accidents here. God, thank you for what you are doing in our lives. I just pray your blessing, God, upon these people this morning. I want to last ask this one question because I don't know where all of your hearts are at. But I want to ask if there's anybody here today who has never asked God to come into their life before. You've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to be your Lord and Savior, to be restored to this relationship with the Father. If you're here in this room today and you are either unsure or you have never asked him in before, I want you to put your hand up and we're going to pray a prayer with you this morning. A simple prayer. But is there anybody here today who needs to ask Jesus to come into their life? Put your hand up nice and high. Wave at me so that I can see you. Okay, good. Father, thank you for today. Bless all of these people as they go and enjoy what you have for them. God, it's going to be an awesome summer. It's going to be an awesome day. God, thank you for everyone here today. In Jesus' name.